morning is Jesus-centered and people-focused. And really, that is what God has placed on my heart for this year, is that when we begin to really see who Jesus is, and when our lives are truly focused on Him, I think the things that are wrong in our lives, the things that aren't put together just quite right, that when we focus on Jesus, the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then our lives will begin to to shape and to form to that very image of what we're called to be is the image of Christ, right? It's very Scripture. And then the second part of it, I believe that when we become so Jesus-centered, that people will begin to be the focus. And it won't be us, it will be others. And then they will actually see God Himself through us, which I think 1 John so well puts it throughout the chapters and throughout the book, is that when people see us, they're actually beholding the Son of God. And we're going to look at that, and I know that's just uh, something that I'm kind of going way uh, ahead of myself. We'll be hitting it later on. But it's truth. And we are to be God's representative to a lost world. And so this morning when Dave was leading us in that song, Dave and Shirley were leading us into the song and we begin to pray for others. That is so great. Because oftentimes we come to church and there's really, we just go through the motions. We do worship, we do offering, we do the preaching of the Word, we do the altar call, and then we go home. And there's really not much prayers offered during the whole service. And so it's awesome that we can pray for others. And I want to kind of give a review of what we already studied in 1 John as we began the book. The reason why John wrote this book was to really come against heresy and what was coming to the church and what we call Gnosticism. And I talked about that a couple weeks ago. And Gnosticism is a word, and, and I won't get into it big time this morning, but it is a word that hadn't taken root at this time, but it was getting ready to divide the church in the 2nd century. And it did. And one of the beliefs, there's two beliefs that are, are really prominent in why this book was written to us was that they believed, the Gnostics believed that, that their inner man was sinless. So that means, let me kind of break that open for us a little bit, they meant that my inner life could not be sin, and could no sin could touch it, but the outer life was decaying and evil. Does that make sense? So the flesh was evil, but the inner man was sinless. Well, the problem with that is, is that means that they could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, but their, their soul and their spirit was not touched. And that's a heresy. The second is, is that Jesus actually wasn't who He said He was in the aspect of when He was baptized... When John baptized him and the Spirit descended upon Jesus, that is when God's power came on him in full. But at the cross, God lifted that power back off of Jesus. And I'm just saying this in layman's terms. Lifted that power off of Jesus where God really did not die on the cross. They actually took away the deity of who Jesus was. So John is writing this book and he's writing this letter to the church of Ephesus. A specific church, and he's really coming against heresies and heretics. And I think why it's so important, and Gnosticism today does not live in its fullest 
that it did back then. But we do see it in New Age thinking. We see it in, in some uh, psychology and different things. Is that there's Always we're trying to reach that inner self, right? To make that inner being a better person. So we do yoga. We do different things. So we can get in touch with that inner man. And really do it ourselves. And we forget about who Jesus is and the divinity of who Christ is. But also I talked about, remember, that John actually touched and beheld the Son of God. So when he wrote this book, he says, listen, I touched, I groped. Like a blind man groping uh, somebody and trying to feel them get to know who they are. Or like somebody in darkness groping for where they're going. That is what John had actually had a relationship with Jesus Christ where he groped, he touched him. And if you remember, I touched on it that we have a very account from someone who actually touched the Lamb of Glory. So although the world may discredit the Bible, that's fine. Discredit it all you want. But we have a witness that has actually touched and seen Jesus Christ. And they are witnessing to us. And He is saying, listen, this is my authority. My authority isn't into my, into my intellectualism, which was what also Gnostics thought, was that you could be saved by your intellect. And John says, no, that's not the case. I've actually touched him and seen him. And you guys know that I've said this lots of times, is that um, after being outside of the Western church for, for a few years and coming back, and I see that oftentimes we get together on Sunday mornings or Wednesdays, whenever we do our Bible studies or whatever we do, and we do intellectual exercises. And we assume what we're learning helps us without actually doing what we're learning. Does that make sense? And I'll tell you what, I feel really good when I'm learning some good stuff. But if I'm not walking that stuff out, then it's just mind and intellect. So John is saying, hey, that's not what we are to be. And so we're focusing this year, we are going to focus on community. And I struggle with this word because if I was in the setting of discipling Muslim background believers, I would actually tell them that this meeting right here is just a meeting. Your true community is where you touch people every day. Your jobs, your groups, your spheres of influence. That's community, right? You know, we have. I like it when we have... Um, and Josh and his group together. And they come together. And they're coming from all different churches. And I enjoy it not because of the worship they do. I enjoy it because of the community that I see amongst them before the worship. And then the community I see after the worship. It's like these guys are connected. And what are they connected around? It's music. But it's true community. And so I struggle when I'm thinking about how to build church and how to build numbers. And really, true community is done both inside and outside the church. And see, where we've gotten it wrong, and I think it's changing in society and our culture by not by choice, but is the bubble that we live in within the church is kind of getting popped. And we're having to do different things. And the church is taking on a different 
a different look. And I think it's good. I think it's bad. And of course, I think it's ugly. I love that movie. I'm so sorry. Good, bad, and the ugly. Um, watch it. Well, maybe not. Watch it if you can. So I was looking at my studies, and I saw a story about Spurgeon. And we're going to deal this morning with those who claim that they have no sin, and that they're sinless. And Spurgeon, he was preaching a message, and, and a guy came up to him after the sermon and said, Hey, Spurgeon, I am a sinless man. I've passed from sin, and I'm living perfect. And so Spurgeon, the wise guy he was, he invites this man home. He's sitting and he's having a dinner with this man. And the man begins to explain to him why he thinks he's sinless and why he, he has overcome sin and the sin nature. And Spurgeon and the wisdom and the wise guy that he was, he gets up from the table, he takes a glass of water and he puts it in the guy's face. And just, you know, and that's really not in good English culture. And the guy gets up and says, why did you do that? You rude jerk, basically. That's my language. You rude jerk. You shouldn't have done that. And Spurgeon said, look, <laughs> the dead man isn't dead. He just fainted and it took a glass of water to awaken him. Isn't that good? So how many times have you been driving and you have been doing things and that sinful nature just gets... Whoo, and you're like, you go right into sin and, and you're right, you get angry. You go to where you really hadn't been in a while and then bam, you're defeated. You're like, Christ, I thought I had overcome some things. And you see, so often, is, isn't that the way we feel? And it's the way we think. It's, Lord, I'm this and that. And really, the estimation is what we're going to look at the Word of God because we always should go back to the Word of God and seeing who we are. And so let's go to 1 John and let's read uh, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. And then we're going to break it down into to verses. It says, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So I want to break down these scriptures just a little bit for us and to really talk about truth this morning. And you see, oftentimes people say, why do you talk about sin so much? Why is sin probably one of, the mo one of the first things you go to in your sermons? And 
as I was thinking about it this week, if we don't realize how sinful we are, the good news is not really good news, is it? And so oftentimes, and we don't hear it a lot in churches these days, is we don't talk about sin. No, I get it. I don't want to be here beating you down week after week. And if that's happening, then there is an element of the message that has gone missing. And that element of the message that has gone missing, we are going to visit this morning. And it's good news. But let's look at the scripture again, verses 5 through 7. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. So they've heard a message from Jesus and that he is proclaiming it to those who he's writing to. And it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie in the truth and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, and so often do we not do this to the creator of all things. We bring God down to us. And we compare Him to where we are at. And so often we have made a re-image of who the true God really is. Do we not? Usually it's circumstances or life has brought us to an understanding of who God is. And oftentimes our understanding really isn't the true understanding of who the Father is. So we have to always go back to the Word. And we have to look at what God says and what His truth is. And God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. Now the word light here can mean two things, and we do see two things in the Scriptures. One is the light is truth, right? It leads man in the way that he should go. But then the other word for this word this morning that we're looking at is purity, that God is holy, that God is pure, and there is no darkness in Him. And then I beg the question, if you are a good thinker and as you talk to people, you say, how can God be so good when there's evil in the world? Have you heard that question? And then you look at scriptures that say God sends an evil spirit on Saul. And you're like, what? God, he's not evil, but yet he sent he sent an evil spirit. And then when I read through the Old Testament, he sends a spirit of deception upon a people and then when i look at revelation there's going to be a time when part of the world is just it's gone and i think oh my goodness the mercy of god and then i think okay well how can god be good and yet see these things and then how can we say that there is no darkness in god but yet we see evil And I want you to know that when it comes that there is no darkness in God, everything God does is right and pure. When you look at the word righteousness, it means that there can be no wrong from Him. He is righteous. He is holy. And so when John says this, this is the message that they heard from Jesus Himself. And He is proclaiming that God is light and there is no darkness. When God does such things through His Word, 
it is usually it's not usually it is just and right. And if you put scripture into context, you see that God has always been swaying men, always has been wooing man back to himself, always has been giving man an opportunity to turn and to come to him. And we see that it goes on in Scripture, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And this morning as we're looking, I think one of the greatest lies that has crept into the church today is that sin does not separate us from our relationship with the Father. guys are silent and look at me, looking at me. The greatest, one of the greatest lies and the hardest lie to die is that sin does not separate us from our relationship with the Father. And so when we look at the Scripture, now there's going to be good news, okay? Remember what I said long ago in the South? If you get bad service but your waiter smiles at you, it's all good. Or bad food, it doesn't matter. So I'm going to smile at you for a little bit. But you look at scriptures like Isaiah 59 verse 2. And for you that turn the Bible, I'll turn with you. Although we're going to have it on the screen really quick. For my practice, I guess. And maybe I'm faster than you, so it doesn't matter. It says this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. And when you look at the Scripture, you see something, and, and putting it into context, and putting it into what we see with other Scriptures, and you can build on it. And even Psalm 66, verse, uh, I think, 13, or 18, it says, If I regarded sin in my heart, you would not have heard me. But it says here that but if your iniquities have but your iniquities, your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. And see, we see that when John is saying, You say you have fellowship with him, but you walk in darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If there is darkness and disobedience in our lives, again, and I said this two weeks ago, that ultimately it will take you from the Father and then it will take you from fellowship with one another. And that is what John is saying. So it's really a measurement. It's almost a dipstick or an oil stick. This is, hey, where are you at? So I would like to ask you this morning, is where are you at in your fellowship with one another? Now, do I realize that our American culture is very busy? We have lots going on in our life. So just take that out of the equation and all your busyness and ask yourself, what is keeping me? From fellowshipping with others? Is there something hidden? Is there darkness? Is there disobedience in my life? And then I want to look at John 3 real quick. 
verse 19 through 21. says this. This is the judgment. That the light has come into the world and that men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested in having been wrought in God. And I want to share this with you just for a brief moment. As we have looked in the Scripture and we're seeing that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, here's where it becomes really scary for us in fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Father. Is that light actually exposes darkness, right? And the closer that we get to Jesus, our lives begin to become more exposed, don't they? And then the more fellowship you have with one another, your life becomes even a, like a, an onion. It becomes peeled back more. And then people get to know you. And then it starts to get really freaky. Why? Because you see my mistakes. You see my immaturity. And then not only do you see my immaturity, I see your immaturity. Which makes me feel a lot better about myself. That's what the light does. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, we cannot shrink back from the light. Instead, we have to continue to be brave, men and women, to say, okay God, this hurts, but you are light and in you there is no darkness, so please expose all my sinfulness. And so when I'm looking at these scriptures, I must admit, when I get upset or when I'm struggling with something in my life that continues to be a reoccurring theme, I begin to look at these scriptures in 1 John and I begin to say, God, honestly, this is what I'm struggling with this week. I'm exposing it to your light. Will you come? Will you help me, Lord, to overcome this? And He is faithful and just. Did you see the weak? So, okay, some of you guys I'm calling weak this morning. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm calling you weak in order that maybe I will make you mad enough to go forward. Is that you see, people love the darkness. Why? Because the light exposes their evil deeds. And I want you to know that heaven is worth being exposed is it not? It is worth it. And so why not? Now let's go back. And I was going to do Ephesians 2, but I'll skip that. And that talks about how Christ has brought a deep, the deep hatred that was between two parties. Through Christ, He has made them one. And so our fellowship with one another is true. And our common goal and our common ground which is what the word fellowship means, what we have in common is Jesus Christ Himself. And I, want, I, I laugh at this. Um, I want you to know that you have to love me. 
You don't have to like me. Like and love are two different things. But the body of Christ, you have to love one another. But you don't have to like me. And I respect that. But I will tell you right back. I will love and like you. Because you were created in the image of God. And you have purpose in this life and in this body. So let's go to the second point. And it's verses 8, 9 through 10. And, and you see, if you say you have no sin, then there is no truth in you. And I know that we could have conversations and we could go back and forth, but let's just let the Word of God speak to us this morning. So I'm going to skip verse 9 and just go 8 through 10, 8 and 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Maybe you would not come out and say these exact words, but is this your action and your attitude? Are your actions and attitudes actually saying something different? You see, oftentimes as Christians and you that have been polished over the years, You may not realize this, but some of your actions and some of your deeds come across as if you were holier than thou. And that if you had not sinned, or that you don't make mistakes. You see, we have a world that we live in that they need to see Christians who are authentic. And Christians who know that they struggle with the sin nature but yet have the greatest of hopes in Jesus Christ. If you, if you can remember back to your salvation days, your early salvation, like I can, how many of you guys have actually came to the altar more than one time in your life? <laughs> yes, thank you. I did it every Billy Graham uh, thing I watched, every church service I went to. I was running forward to getting re-saved, which was weird, but it was cool, and it was weird, and cool, and weird, and it just over and over again. There's something that I just smile about, is that a new believer when they truly come to Christ, come to repentance, they realize their life is truly undone. And the more that they begin to look at the Word of God, they realize, man, I am really messed up. As if we didn't know it before. And so here I am, depressed. God has saved me from drugs and alcohol and from anger and different issues. And here I am looking at the Word of God and hearing sermons. And my heart was continually getting pricked. And thinking that I had to continually get re-saved. And it, the truth is, it's because our hearts were awakened to truth. You see, guys, the world does not know they are steeped in sin. And so we can preach all day and we can be until we're blue in the face. But they don't know, not until they have experienced the goodness of God. And the same is it, don't forget, the same for our life. So we struggle. 
We've got big sins in the world today that we look at and we skip the little sins of anger and greed and lust and all these things. And we focus on certain ones, but guys, how many sins do we truly struggle with? And if not, maybe I need to get a glass of water and pour over you. We'll see how happy you are. And see, it says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the sermon title for this is God has given us a clean slate every time. But we must confess when He's speaking to us. Psalm 32 verse 5 says this, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my sin I did not hide. I said I will confess my sins to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There was a confession that took place. And then Proverbs 28, verse 13. says this. He who conceals his transgressions, hides them, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. When we read and we hear this Scripture often, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a powerful Scripture for us. And this is the good news for you this morning. If you are like me, who struggle through life, and sometimes I am my worst critic, and sometimes it's hard to get up. But when I look at these scriptures, and when I look at this scripture, and I confess my need for His help and His mercy, and when I have sinned, I confess my sins to Him, He is faithful and just to cleanse me from all of my sins. And I start new and fresh. There's a story that I want to share with you. It's probably the last time I'll share this story. Unless it's appropriate in different circumstances. But here, because you know, pastors, they repeat, repeat. I was a boy, uh, 10 years old. This made a huge impact on my life. And I'll try to go through it really quick. I was a boy. I had a soulmate. And his name was Mikey. Is is in Oregon, and, and my dad was a pastor. I can imagine what it was like for Jonathan and David when it says they were put together. This guy was put together with me. His name is Mikey, and I think I've shared the story. We did everything together. We'd run home and watch G.I. Joe together. You know, we were there, and, and Mikey wasn't the richest kid on the block. Actually, he's probably the poorest. And we just had great friendship. We connected. There's one day that I was riding my bike with my other friends and you know as, as, a, as a young kid you just, you, you just do some dumb stuff. Mikey comes and he's a poor kid, remember? You guys are really going to think I'm awful. He brings his brand new football to me. And he says, look what I got. And he was so proud of that football. And you know what I did with that football? 
I was with my friends acting all cool. I took that football, I grabbed it from him, threw it in the mud, and went off. I didn't know what I was doing. I promise you. I was a cool 10-year-old kid, had no clue. But that deeply impacted my life forever. Then here's what happened. His sister came over to our house, just flirting with my brother, and she begins to tell me that Mikey can no longer talk to you. He can no longer spend any time with you. You cannot call him. You cannot do anything. Your relation with him is, relationship with him is cut off. As a 10-year-old boy, I was unsaved. Something was placed in my heart that I needed restitution with Mikey. I had lost my best friend. And here's the sad part. Is the mother said I could have no relationship with him. So this 10-year-old boy who wanted to reach out and say, I'm so sorry, never got the chance. So my consequences were that I will probably never see Mikey on this side of heaven. And as a boy, it always bothered me. And one of the first sins that I confessed when I came to Jesus was how I treated Mikey. And I have struggled since then until a couple weeks ago. And I'm sharing this story with you because I want you to be free. And because of this action of a mother, and she was protecting her child, I get that. But she cut off something that was very redemptive. And that was restitution. And so now in my life and how it had controlled my life is that when anybody sinned against me or they sinned against others, you better believe they were going to pay the consequences for their sin. Just like I did when I was 10 years old. Does that make sense? And so that's how I viewed life. Is if you sinned against me or you sinned against somebody else, I was going to remind you until you got it. And that's how I was doing my parenting also. I remind my kids over and over and over, this is what you did, this is your punishment. And for the last couple of weeks, we've had a good household because I have stopped doing that. What I did was I brought my sin, my mistake to the light. He said, God, this, I need your help. And I went to the cross and I laid it down and I'm a free man. Listen, the consequences of your sin will probably be there at times. But the Father has paid a great price for you. Is that you are free. You are free when you confess your sins. How can I say this? And we'll wrap it up here. The third point, chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. My little children, and I'm not going to call you little children. <laughs> you guys, um, I won't call you little children. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So he's deeming us as sinners, okay? You guys, you, we get that. Okay, God, we know. We're sinners before you. And then John says, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And this advocate word here is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. Helper, called alongside, intercessor. And I want you to know that when you stand before the Father, you are deemed condemned because of your sin. But listen, Jesus Christ stands in your place and deems you sinless. That's bad news with a lot of good news. The best news. And then it goes on to say, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. Then I want to look at this word real quick, propitiation, because it, it, it means something. And if you look at the dictionary, what it means is that God appe- it appeases an angry God. And so I personally, I like the word propitiation for one stand or one aspect of truth. But I like what the NIV says, and it says an atonement. He Himself is our atonement for our sins. You see, the propitiation can be this, that it is true that Jesus satisfied God's law. Because according to God's law, sin must be punished. But I want you to think differently this morning. That it was not an angry God waiting to punish His Son on the cross. God's wrath was punishing sin of mankind. Jesus didn't stand up like Superman and say, here, stop, stop, don't destroy the world. I'm going to die for the world. No, He said, I'm going to die for the sins of man. For the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. You see, if it was true that God was coming and Jesus, an angry God, then why would it say in Scripture that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? The cross was because God loved mankind. The cross was because Jesus knew that He was paying for the sins of the world and satisfying God's just and righteous law. So this morning, if the worship team would come, and if you'd stand with me, And you guys know I'm too honest for my own good. But as Miss Shirley's just playing the piano, I would like us just to have a time of reflection. And if the elders could come forward and just be ready to pray with people. I want you to know that one of the greatest joys the greatest things we have to experience and one of the purposes that we have in life is to experience true peace. And you see, peace is a reality of the believer and we're going to look later at the evil one can't touch the children of God. 1 John 5 verse 16. And you see, John wrote this letter, the theme is from 1 John 5 13 is that he was letting people know that their security was sure. 
because people were confused. And I want you to know that when we confess our sins before the Father, He forgives. So this morning as we worship and we pray, I would like you to respond. However you want to respond, if you come forward or you're just in your pew. But I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to search you. And to see if there's any sin in your life that you need to confess that maybe is cutting you off from relationship with the Father. And I'm telling you, that you can have 100% confidence. The peace of God will come to you. If it doesn't, I'm here to help you and to counsel you and to talk to you. So this morning as you reflect, I would encourage you by coming forward or in your pew. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that is true. And we thank you, Lord, because we realize that your word, when we look at it and we look at the truth, Lord, we see we don't line up. We don't. But we have one that stands and pleads for us. And it's your son, Jesus. So, Lord, no, how, no matter how long we have been walking in the faith or how short, we need you, Jesus. And, Holy Spirit, would you help us to see where we are falling short yes, Lord. of the glory of God. So, I'd ask you to respond. Amen.